Hear ye, hear ye, come one and all. Join us for a free introductory journey through occult theory and practice. Learn dazzling mysteries, occult sciences, and powerful spells. Heal the sick, curse your enemies, and attract the favor of that sexy human next door. All this can be yours absolutely free. All we ask is that you tune in every other week. Learn what you can and put it into practice. Some side effects may include stress relief, a new outlook on life, and a newfound obsession with small shiny objects. Tune in today. The occult arts discussed after this disclaimer are a product of 60,000 or so years of collective human experimentation with spiritual matters. Ask your doctor, mental health professional, and or forward-thinking religious leader if the occult arts are right for you. When they tell you that it's not entirely based on science and that you should be very careful when experimenting the way that your brain operates, don't hogwash and fling your arms up in the air before storming out of the office while reciting the Scottish play on your way back to your preferred form of transit. Always remember, harm none, do what thou wilt. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Please do not actually yell hogwash at your doctor, mental health professional, and or forward-thinking religious leader. They only want what's best for you, like we do. We love you. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I do not love you. Welcome to the Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm Hector. I'm Tyler. And I'm Kevin. This is our very first episode, so we're going to establish some common language, explore some good background concepts, and talk about how each of us got involved in this to begin with. Um, But before we get started, I'd like to throw down a statement of intent for the entire podcast series. It is our will to create a series whereby the listener to each episode in sequence can go from a non-practicing individual of casual interest to a practicing and well-functioning occultist if they so choose. While we're going to provide you with a lot of information in this podcast, starting uh, pretty fundamental and working towards more complex topics, we're also going to provide exercises that you may integrate into your practice so that you can begin walking the path. So to kick things off, let's throw the bones. My bones! Looks good. All right. The circle is cast and closed, and it's time to dig in. All awesome. right, so what is the occult? Um, to tackle the, 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 that big question, like what really is the occult, we kind of have to define a couple terms first. So there are terms like arcane, which means only known to a select few. Um, there's esoteric, um, which means information designed to be only known by initiated groups, um, like secret societies or, um, I don't know, secret government organizations or something like that. There's also, yeah, there's also a cult, which is uh, knowledge that is hidden or paranormal. So really all religious information could fall into this category. Yeah, absolutely. So go tell your local religious leader that. The occult primarily focuses on information cast out of the mainstream religions and sciences. So it's often a term used to describe spiritual systems or practices cast out of dominant culture. Uh, There's some irony here in that throughout history, the highest profile people in society uh, have often usually secretly taken part in occult research, rituals and practices. Uh, Edward Kelly, John D. Nostradamus, uh, the Romanovs of Russia employed many occultists and frauds and lunatics like Rasputin. About a tenth of Sir Isaac Newton's writings are on the topic of alchemy. Uh, There are extensive memberships of uh, American constitutional framers in secret societies. Uh, The list goes on and on and on. Yeah, we really just can't avoid being curious about our taboos. Speaking of taboos, here's a thing to play with this week. Try violating social norms just for fun, but, you know be safe and be sure not to do anything that violates anyone's personal safety or autonomy or so forth. Yeah. Try to keep it legal. Legal-ish. Yeah. Stuff that Let's fits about... into the category of a cult. Yeah. What, what does fit into that category? Uh, how about uh, magic divination? Right. So telling the future, learning things about the present, um, paranormal investigation, remote viewing, astral travel, alchemy. Yeah, speaking of like secret government stuff, check out stuff on remote viewing. That shit's crazy. 
Yeah, Ingo Swan. Um, he's the guy to look into for that. And like some people in the FBI maybe still use it. I don't know. Sure. All right. Let's uh so we've we've got some basic definitions of the topic of the series. Let's dig into our personal backgrounds just a little bit. Uh Tyler, you want to go first? Uh yeah, sure. Um so I'm going to be up front and say that I'm probably the closest to a dilettante in this group. Uh, basically, I am very interested in this topic, and I'm interested in learning more about this topic, but going into this, I'm going to know the least. Uh, my background is mostly just Jewish and Christian, non-religious upbringing. Um, I've tried reading The Golden Bough twice on multiple occasions. It's it's a slog, guys. I'm sorry. That's uh, being generous. Yeah, that's it was written before like people le- really cared about what they read. Um my background's mostly in uh history and in I would say in secret societies, me being a member of the Ancient Free and Accepted Masons, of which I am a master mason. Um Illuminati. Yeah. No, Turns out that was a real thing. We'll get to that eventually. Um, also, I mostly got into the concept of chaos magic through uh, Hector, who I'll now t- toss it to. Hello. Hey, before I take the, the helm there, Tyler, uh, what region of the world are you tuning in? Uh, I'd say most of my background is in European, Middle Eastern, and Asian history, and sort of the interplay between all of those. All right. Globalism. Yeah, global. Global Wonderful. history. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Uh, I was pretty much raised non-religious until like the age of nine. Uh, kind of grew up on my grandparents' old farmland. And then when my mom got remarried, she uh, married a Catholic guy. So um, I kind of got like converted to Catholicism for a few years. But I dropped off around like, I don't know, age 12 or 13 and kind of found the occult at that time. Uh, interestingly, the same time I started, uh, using cannabis. So I don't know if there's a correlation there, but yeah, it doesn't sound like an accident. No, not really. I was initially interested in Wicca when I, uh, got started on, you know, the craft. Um, but then uh, a couple years later, I got more into ceremonial magic. Um, by the time I got to college, uh, I was pretty, I was still interested in all that stuff, but I also got interested in Buddhism, uh, Zen Buddhism specifically. And then after trying psychedelics for the first time, I got really interested in shamanism and uh, the spiritual use of psychoactive substances. A um, few years after that, uh, I got real involved in some political work and sort of dropped out of the spiritual realm for a few years, uh, mostly focusing on uh, radical politics, social justice work, um, and uh, working with like educating uh, kids. Um, and then I recently kind of returned to occultism with a, a pretty solid interest in chaos magic um, and to some degree the tenets of uh, LaVey's brand of Satanism, although I wouldn't consider myself uh, specifically a, practicer, a practitioner of Satanism, but I, I really do like uh, some of the ideas found there. Awesome. There yeah. is some interesting stuff in LaVey and Satanism, which we will get to. We Definitely. Will. Definitely. I would also like to point out that there is a non uh, ignorable correlation seems like in your background between uh, I would say drug use and interest in the occult. Uh, That's something that I think we should explore eventually. I I think we'll probably do um, it'll probably turn into a short series. Actually, I don't think we can condense it into one episode, but we should do. We definitely need to talk about psychoactive substances, brain consciousness, human evolution, and uh, shamanism and the occult, and how all those things are sort of part of the same web. Awesome. And they are. Can't wait. Yeah. So for me, um, I was brought up Jewish, quite Jewish. I was brought up relatively religious. Uh, I never really experienced uh, a crisis of belief in a singular higher power, per se. Like, I never had that moment of, of God is dead and everything is terrible. I really just never bought into it from the beginning. I'm, I'm not into the, the concept of, of the Judeo Christian higher power. And that's fine. You can still be super Jewy and not believe in God. Turns out that's a thing. 
Um, Jews are cool. I've like always that. there's a bunch of Jewish identified atheists. It's kind of a nifty little movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've always been fascinated by observations on the power of mass ritual and ceremony. And that was something that growing up around religion definitely exposed me to. Uh, from early high school, I experimented with personal ritual uh, in tandem with ongoing Jewish practice. Um, a lot of kind of edgelordy stuff with blood and iron and sex and crystals and geometry. Uh, as I moved out of high school and into college, I got into some and Satanism. I got into the Principia Discordia, Woo. but not so much uh, belief. Still, still not so much the belief. Still really a skeptic down to my bones. I am the Pope, as all Discordians will tell you. I am the Pope. Uh, and practiced in the fine art of communication via pineal gland with the goddess Eris. Uh, I have a particular appreciation for the politics of the Church of Satanism. I love how humanistic they are. I love how they interact with the people around them. It's a fascinating byplay. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's a little too bad that the media chooses to focus just on like the statues and stuff like that when it comes to the Church of Satanism. It is it's all but about selling the media, you know, it's yeah. a skeptical narrative and whatever it is. I took about 10 years off of most occult study and practice, but you just don't forget some stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to claim expertise, but I've done some nifty stuff that sometimes worked. And because I think that magic is accessible to anybody who wants to study and practice, I don't think you need more than a desire to participate and a commitment to kind of jump in. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a low anti kind of belief system. It is. And I'm that kind of died in the wool skeptic doubting, you know, everything. And, and it still works for me. Mm-hmm. Great. Hey, I think that brings us to the point where it's time for a brief interlude. An interlude, you say? <laughs> An, An interlude? interlude? Today's episode is brought to you by the Five of Pentacles. Five of Pentacles symbolizes Taurus, right side up, loss of cash, uh, trouble with concerning material things or work, but also the knowledge of earthly things. Reversed, the Five of Pentacles symbolizes money re- regained after hard work, determination, or being obstinate. Man, sounds like me after my tax return. Am I right, guys? And before your tax return. Really, yeah. it just sounds like you with or without your tax return. Yeah, it just sounds just sounds like pretty much anyone. It does. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into some other terms under the umbrella of the occult, shall we? Okay. All right. So let's talk about magic. I feel like a lot of our show is going to end up talking about magic in one way or another. So to differentiate between magic with a C, such as magic performed for entertainment like david blaine or dan sperry or chris angel that kind of thing yeah uh and magic with a ck that is spiritual in nature we we add a k to the end to to what we call real magic or spiritual magic rather than parlor tricks the Mm -hmm. k is important special k yeah. In the future, always assume that we're putting the hard K sound at the end of the word, even if it doesn't always come through in the audio. If we're talking about the other form of magic, we're going to spell it out for you guys. We'll refer to it as lowercase magic. Lowercase magic. That's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, an important note, some people refer to the practice of magic as the craft. In this instance, we do not replace the C with a K. That is both trademarked and too much dairy for me. Mm-hmm. Well, let's try and define magic, shall we? Uh, a definition uh, is a little more difficult to tease out as magic has been practiced longer than recorded history. Modern humans, homo sapiens, uh, have been on the earth for about somewhere between 40 and 60,000 years. Recorded Western history is approximately 4,500 years old. So if we pick the middle number, 5, 50,000 years, and do the division, we've been recording information in written form for about 9% of our total existence on this planet. 
And even after that, we've burned or allowed to be locked away more than half of the information and knowledge we've ever produced. The cool thing about this is that basically every culture worldwide has practiced some form of magic, and there's a deep, rich history of practice in each one to dive into. Okay, so magic has been around for a long time, longer than we can ever really measure. So let's work on pinning down what it is. All right. Well, um, let's start with some references. Uh, According to the Wiccan author Scott Cunningham, magic is uh, often a movement of personal power for a specific goal. Uh, Church of Satan founder Anton Zandor LaVey wrote that magic is the change in situations or events in accordance with one's will, which would usually uh, using normally accepted methods be unchangeable. Okay, we'll go into, again, the Church of Satan, Satanism, probably even a bit about uh, the satanic panic at one point. Uh, But really, dear listener, you should check out the last podcast on the left episodes about these things because they put in a ton of time and effort and made a really good comprehensible and enjoyable segment on that material yeah absolutely love last podcast all right going further uh according to chaos magician and author of condensed chaos phil hein magic is a set of techniques and approaches which can be used to extend the limits of achievable reality chiefs and if we go on to Donald Michael Krieg, who wrote uh, Modern Magic, which is basically about ceremonial magic, um, it's important to note that no one can give you magical powers. You have to earn them. There's only one way to do this, and that's practice, practice, practice. Insert Carnegie Hall joke here. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, honestly, and that's why... uh, learning oh, to practice. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Learning to practice is, is just half the battle on its own. If you can discipline yourself, you've gained a serious amount of personal power and autonomy right there. And that might be the most real magic there is. Outside of friendship. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's why we're giving you stuff in each episode to to kind of take back and practice yourself. That gives you, you know, something related to this that you can really dig into. Mm -hmm. Now, if it sounds like a lot of these definitions kind of have a similarity where the definition is where magic is the employment of a variety of techniques and practices that permit the harnessing of one's psycho spiritual energy to alter perceivable reality in accordance with the will of the practitioner. That's a word salad. Yeah. If that's the definition we're working off for now, um, we should take that with a grain of salt and keep in mind that there are a whole bunch of different models of magic that one can operate under and even interchange between. Definitely. Uh, I want to start by addressing the psychological model where a practitioner uses a symbol or ritual or whatever icons of significance to condition their own unconscious to work towards their objective without any active direction. Um, This one, um, or sorry, this is one interpretation of sigil magic uh, and uh, servitors in chaos magic. Um, some Satanists also subscribe to this model, though not all do. This is my preferred model, my preferred framework when I'm having a capital S skeptical day. You know, like some days you don't really believe in unmeasurable phenomena, but this model relies on manipulating functions of the brain that modern science doesn't really understand yet. There is a lot about the brain that we don't understand yet, that even when I'm being a good scientist and disbelieving phenomena without measurable proof, I can dig into the psych model with no real hesitation because we truly just don't know if it's true or not yet. I'm participating in research by trying to make my brain do flips and change the universe as long as I document what I do and try to reproduce it. Yeah, we should probably put in a disclaimer here. Uh, this is a model that you should be very careful with, um, mostly because I think it's probably one of the easiest to do. If you do manage to gain access to your brain's, you know, operating system, you gotta be kind of be ready to deal with whatever the ramifications of that are. Yeah, and I think it depends on how deep you go with it. 
Um, some people use this model only on like the basis of placebo effect or forms of uh, emotional release. But yeah, if you start uh, screwing around with your psychological functioning, be really careful. This is why I, I don't advocate reckless use of psychedelic substances. All right. Onward, ever onward. Uh, let's talk about the informational model, which I, not going to lie, do not understand. My understanding of it is, is baseline, and, and this is what I got for you. Energy is dumb, and information lacks energy. So you have to put the two of them together to get results, and we'll do more research, but basically that's that's what I got so far. Okay. We don't have a ton of grounding in this one. We'll We'll continue to explore something about underlying matrices. We'll get back to you on this one. Sounds sort of like smart energy or something like that. Or smartification of energy. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Uh, the spirit model is one wherein the practitioner conveys their desires to spirits, helpers, anima, loa, uh, whatever, who perform the actual work of magic on the practitioner's behalf and the practitioner's interest. Yeah. So offerings to other powers, i.e. loa or nature spirits or ghosts or uh, thought forms, whatever you, you want to commune with. Um, I believe this specific, uh, this specific practice is referred to as petitioning. It's because um, nature spirits hate a mooch. Is mm-hmm. all saying. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds kind of similar to the uh, psychological model from earlier. Um, if you so desire, you could say that it's just the psychological mo- model, but with, you know, using spirits and anima and whatnot, instead of, you know, parts of your own self. Or just declaring that you have an associated identity that's capable of practicing whatever you're trying to get it to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So either, you know, you, uh, you invoke uh, a historic uh, God or deity or something that you actually believe in, or you take uh, the route of um, one of the characters in The Invisibles and invoke uh, John Lennon because he basically has all the attributes of a god this day. Mm-hmm. Like yes, I believe in Chaos Magic that's known as something called evoking. It's a very uh, cool concept. And it's, uh, it's pretty much throughout all of magic. Okay, and one last model to touch on, which we kind of already have. The energy model is really the big umbrella wherein a practitioner manipulates their own internal energy, bioelectricity or chi or whatever you want to call it, to achieve their objectives, as we've mentioned above. Mm -hmm. Sort of that uh, psycho-spiritual energy that we were discussing earlier. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, these models don't see magic as an external force, but related to more probability, mindset, and creating assumptions of success. Uh, sometimes the mechanism for impacting the world is the application of internal spiritual power, but can also be entirely psychological and rooted in the ability of the brain to do things sort of on its own when properly conditioned. In, in my own personal practice and experience, magic has a lot to do with probability and mindset and creating those assumptions of success. So yes, magic is the practice of manipulating the world to produce effects that suit the practitioner, but the practitioner is also part of the world and must also be manipulated. Uh, so I think this has more to do with the concept of building a frame or system to affect during the ritual, like building a frame of reference in physics, things like that. Uh, and in this case, that frame of reference includes, for me, it includes myself. So my own rituals have been designed with the philosophy of seeding change where the ritual changes me. And from that change, the rest of the world is dragged along for the ride and enacts whatever change that I'm attempting to make. So I operate with the core assumption that if adequate belief in some hypothetical truth can be generated, that change will come about. Yeah. In other words, it's Kevin's world. We all just live in it. Exactly. A little bit of solipsism carries you a long way. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the, the only person that I can with 100% efficacy, change the beliefs of is me. And that's, yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff. That's also a very chaos magician of you. Yeah, accidental chaos magician, Kevin G. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So with sufficient drive and charisma and certainty imparted by whatever ritual I've enacted, 
other people, and therefore, as I mentioned, the world, absolutely will follow along. Good ritual, for me, erases doubt on the part of the practitioner. So selectively closing my own mind to the possibility that something I want isn't likely to happen, leaves success as the only option. And there is power in a carefully closed mind. If I can manipulate my own doubt, manipulating the doubts of others is much easier because people can suss out a true believer. And if I can decide on the fly what I truly believe, then the doubts of other people sort of crumble away. Yeah, that's a really good point. Also, uh, I absolutely want to touch on the spot where you talk about power of a carefully closed mind at some point in a future episode. I think that touches on some very important aspects of the occult as as well as mundane life that I think get ignored uh, probably more often than they should. I agree. I think belief and disbelief are both resources that can fuel rituals and fuel changes. And the opposite of belief is not disbelief. The opposite of belief is doubt. And the opposite of disbelief is also doubt. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember earlier, but we were really referring to ourselves as skeptics when it came to a lot of this stuff. I think that skepticism is a very powerful thing. And in the sense that it controls belief and disbelief, especially when it comes to, you know, occult stuff. I'm also going to float the idea of being a cynic in addition to being a skeptic. People can be manipulated. And as a result yeah. of that absolute certitude, if I can manipulate myself, I can manipulate other people and other mm-hmm. people generate belief and belief enacts ritual. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. something from a Terry Pratchett novel. A little bit. Terry Pratchett meets Terry Goodkind. Uh, touching on the idea of like being manipulated or manipulating others, I think it's really important just to like as a side note, because we're talking about like a lot of occult stuff and the occult tends to... Uh, also circle around the concept of cults and cults mm-hmm. take in a lot of people and manipulate them. Mm. Uh, I think as unfortunate as that is, it's really important for people to learn some of the tactics of occult leaders or cult leaders and politicians and con artists and how uh, people go about manipulating others in a order in order to protect themselves from being manipulated. We will mm-hmm. definitely have remember your episode on that and we will apply an ethical framework to it so that those techniques can also be used constructively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And remember, you can only trust us when it comes to cults, okay? Don't listen to anybody else when it comes to that. Just only us. us, okay? Anybody else is lying. We'll teach Just you a chant lie. at the end. <laughs> you get you get a special bathrobe with a nifty bit of embroidery on it. It'll be great. Oh, man, it's like a smoking jacket. Uh, Yes. Are we selling cigars to go with those? We are. They're they're wink, wink cigars. Uh, They're only legal in a couple states. Yeah. All right. I think our next. Yeah, I think our next topic is uh, sympathetic magic. And basically the idea there is uh, like things have similar uh, effects. So. If something has been connected or it is similar, uh, it'll have a similar effect. And that'll make more sense as we kind of we kind of go through this. So this idea seems to have kind of first been formally explained in the in the Golden Bow by uh, James Frazier, which uh, Tyler, I believe you mentioned earlier. Uh, Almost the idea is that taking two separate concepts and linking them together um, in the practitioner's mind and using uh, some kind of commonality as a sort of metaphysical link. Uh, these commonalities can be shape, size, color, name, uh, whatever kind of binds the two things together in a useful way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if some people out there are more of a nerdier persuasion, but there's this really cool book called The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, I want to say, where essentially it describes sympathetic magic in a really like cool and approachable and kind of functional way. It's pretty neat. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. Nice. Uh, so going back to Raymond Buckland, and uh, I guess one of the reasons why I'm going to reference this guy a lot is uh, his book. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I first, when I got into the occult, I got into witchcraft. And, and Raymond Buckland's book, The Complete Book of Witchcraft, was the first book on the occult I ever read. Now, granted, I'd looked at some total BS on the internet before that. We've but, all looked at some total BS on the internet. 
mm-hmm. most of what's on the internet. But anyway, so this book is actually a, a good primer. And so this is what he had to say about sympathetic magic. Uh, if a life-sized clay model of a bison was made and then attacked and killed, then a hunt of a real bison would also end in a, end in a kill. Uh, religio magic ritual was born when one of the cavemen threw uh, a skin and antlered mask uh, and, and played the role of the hunting god and uh, directing the attack. There are still existent uh, there still is in existence cave paintings of such rituals um, together with spear stabbed clay models of bison and bear. Mm-hmm. So this, this gives us tools like uh, voodoo dolls, wax dolls, the use of mandrake roots and, and other things that represent other things when we're doing magic. Really, this is the foundation uh, of any magic that uses a small thing to represent a big thing or one thing to affect another thing. Anytime one thing is impacting another thing and they're not like in direct touching connection, this is really a lot of that theory work. Now, all right, just to dive deep a little bit further into this, what exactly is it that makes that connection between the two things? Is it uh, sort of the belief of the practitioner or is it sort of, I don't know, just some other metaphysical thing? It can I be think any that, number of things. Yeah, it, that depend, really depends on what model you're operating under. And I think there are some people that would go as far to try and correlate. Um, oh, what is that that concept from quantum physics? Shoot. Oh, uh, entanglement? Entanglement. Yeah, yeah, the theory of entanglement and try and use that as uh, a, a similarity here. Um, but it really depends on what what system you're operating under, I think. For me, oh, yeah. again, playing mostly with psych model, if I can imagine a connection, that's usually sufficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. And speaking of, like, we got to cover quantum theory at some point because that is some spooky, spooky nonsense. Yeah. I, don't know uh, if I would I'm, use the word nonsense for quantum theory. It's you, some, all right. some spooky stuff. Let's leave it, it at that. I think that would be a great segment to to dive into right around the time we do all the psychedelic stuff. And yeah. uh, there's this book I want to get to reading, hopefully before we do that, called The Tao of Physics by Friedrich Capra. And it's a correlation between Taoism and physics. And there's also this book that Tenzin Gyatso, the, the current Dalai Lama, wrote um, with the help of a physicist that correlates uh, Tibetan Buddhism with quantum physics, which would be that really cool to cool. touch on there, too. Awesome. And once we get into that, we can start getting into string theory and multiple dimensions. And, oh, man, it's so cool. It is. But let's uh, stay on uh, sympathetic magic for a moment. I want to break it down a little further. All right, all right. All right. So according to this book, The Anthropology of Religion, Magic, and Witchcraft, uh, the third edition is the copy I have. I believe there's a fourth edition now um, by Rebecca and Philip Stein. Um, there are two components to sympathetic magic. There's the law of similarity and the law of contagion. Okay. So the law of similarity states basically that things that are similar are basically the same. So if a thing is similar to another thing, then the one thing can be used to affect the other thing. Does that mean that my foot is your foot? It's a foot. Oh, shit. (laughs) In a metaphysical sense, yes. All right, all right. All right, let's 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 step to the second one. The law of contagion states that things that were once in contact continue to be connected after the connection is severed. So, now, this, sorry, this brings my mind a little bit too closely to uh, homeopathy to be too comfortable. Um, yeah. Homeopathy is a fascinating example here because... Homeopathy is bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. There is no way that serial titration of a particle of duck liver will help cure the common cold. Uh, no matter how many times you dilute it, that's just not going to happen. But it does remind me back to uh, the the quantum entanglement theory. Sure. There's also that old phrase, um, a hair of the dog that bit you, um, yep. which... You know, I again that that kind of thinking is kind of dangerous, but that's where that phrase came from. They thought, you know, if you got bit by a dog and you had uh, you got contracted some disease from it, you had to make a potion 
um, that contained the the hair of the dog that bit you, you know? Notably, mm. this did not have a lot of historical success in curing rabies. Uh, y- yeah, neither did uh, the vampiric panic in the United States have a lot of, uh, you know, curative relationships towards the diseases that were actually causing porphyria a few others yeah to burn out just consumption yep just plain old run-of-the-mill cholera uh yeah i mean it just seems like there's some part of like the human brain that just seems like it's really good at just assigning significance to similarities um and that kind of leads to the the importance of personal objects like uh blood and hair and fingernails and stuff like that sure the uh, wise magician must have excellent personal grooming you know mm-hmm. you don't leave bits of yourself anywhere for folks to find it you gotta think gattaca you gotta live that gattaca night yeah uh, talking to you alan more <laughs> all right uh does that bring us to our next section i it does all yeah, right looks like um it. Cool. So we're talking about solitary versus group practice. And the difference here, I mean, it seems obvious. Seems. Mm -hmm. So in my experience, most people seem to be solitary practitioners, though there are plenty of groups out there. And I actually know a few people who are like primarily uh, solitary Wiccans, but then they'll like get together uh, with other Wiccans for major Sabbaths, but are, you know, primarily solitary. I think that there might be a bit of confirmation bias here because all of three of us are individual practitioners and there may just be covens all over the place. Uh, I have a couple of friends that are more involved in group practice, similar to how organized religions operate just on a smaller scale. Although there are, of course, personal practices that people do in their own homes, both in occultism and in religion. So it's kind of a yeah, microcosm of that. absolutely fair. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like something we can explore, not just is, I mean, is group magic just, you know, a bunch of individuals or is it something else entirely? Or is it both? Oh, shit. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's completely doable to be a hundred percent solitary practitioner um, that never works with others. That said, it's it's also good to compare notes with other people that are practicing magic. And and I think next week we'll we'll touch on some other reasons why. We'll also talk more about keeping notes shortly. But you should definitely be keeping notes. Mm-hmm. Seriously, guys, magic is like eighty percent taking notes. Like if you take notes, you'll pass the test, kids. It's good for encoding. All right, let's touch on a couple other things real fast before we get into our thing you're going to practice this week. So there are a whole bunch of other things other than magic that are under the umbrella of cultism. And we kind of touched on some before, but for example, we'll, we're just going to run through a, a smattering of, of ideas here. Uh, we have divining the future or asking otherworldly advice using things like runes or tarot or talking boards like the Ouija, uh, mediums, automatic writing, tea leaf reading, and so on. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Entrails. Yeah, sure. Maybe skip Looking the at entrails. clouds. Why not? Entrails we got palmistry, astrology. Mm-hmm. We got alchemy, which is, as a lot of you probably already know, turning base metals into gold, seeking eternal life and so forth, um, which is pretty cool because it's basically the predecessor of modern chemistry and science. It's sort of the dickish predecessor, though. Like, now we're content with fancy alloys of steel and cheap polyester, but alchemists were all like, unlimited riches and eternal life or bust. Mm-hmm. That was when science was a lot more foppish, foppish than it is today. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, I'm not super happy with polyester clothing. Clothing, it's all natural fibers for me. Uh, sure. Plastic is no good for forging and welding. No, it ignites want. and turns into its own fuel. It's not oh, ideal. Clothed, yeah, it's no no bueno. No bueno. Uh, other stuff, we got the mystery schools, which we'll definitely talk about some of them in the future. We'll probably have to do. Uh, whole episodes on different ones because it's so deep. Uh, we got secret societies, of which I'm sure mm-hmm. you, dear listeners, can think of many. Quite a few. Um, everything under the umbrella of the paranormal, like ghosts, demons, extrasensory perception, that stuff will probably be talked about in passing periodically. 
Um, we will maybe briefly mention aliens, especially when we talk about Elestra Crowley. Stuff like cryptids probably won't come up a whole lot in this uh, series, but it might. Then there's also, you know, like the the ancient foo-foo, mysterious, highly advanced, lost societies like the people from Atlantis and Limerians and all that stuff that comes out of Helena Blavatsky's work. And quickly spirals down into conspiracy theory BS and somehow ends in anti-Semitism almost all the time. Yeah, that happens more often than you think. And let's just get this out of the way. Uh, we are anti-anti-Semitism, uh, pro-Semites, if you will. In at least one notable case, we're just actually Semites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I, I love everyone except those people that hate people. Screw them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we also have uh, old religions and pantheons like the ancient Egyptian faith, Greek Hellenism, uh, the Norse and Azir, if I'm pronouncing that properly. Yeah, the Aesir. However, you you do need to these days uh, be careful of anyone claiming Odinism or Asatru. Uh, those uh, have sadly been co-opted into modern white supremacist groups in the U.S., which is a shame because as with most faiths, uh, the majority of believers are not assholes. Uh, I hope you will exercise caution, but give people the chance to be non-horrific humans. Yeah, and yeah. I... I'm just going to throw this out there. If you are wearing the, the, uh, you know, Thor's hammer around your neck or on your clothes, I'm like immediately skeptical of you. Skeptical. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Thor's hammer, man. Like name one thing, the white supremacists haven't co-opted and then ruined. They, they ruin everything that they get their weird little hands on weird little hands. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking, uh, nope. Pretty much everything they touch turns to garbage. Uh, follow Indiana Jones. Punch Nazis. Right in their face. That is what we're going to send you all home to practice. Punching Nazis. No, I'm, yeah, I'm playing. Don't even no, listen no, 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 to no, no, no. podcast unless you have punched at least one Nazi. That's, <laughs> the, you must be this tall to ride a ride, and this tall is one Nazi punched. <laughs> we'll be checking, okay? We will. We can all do right, that. All right, all right. Let's, let's jump into our first steps here. And, and the first thing we're all going to ask you to do if if you're following us on this journey and you're and you're going to be practicing this stuff with us we want you to keep a journal there are Big lots journal. of different things you can record in this journal i have a really cool journal that is uh it, it says daydreams on one side and night dreams on the other and you you can flip it back and forth and write on the backs of pages and stuff mine's um, a crappy five by eight spiral notebook you can also keep notes on the internet i mean if you're a google docs user whatever whatever works for you man Keep your journal next to your bed if possible. You can write stuff down as you wake up, especially if you're keeping dreams. Um, just scribble down notes to help you recall the dream in the morning, and then you can write it in more detail later on. Dream recording is important for a wide variety of stuff we'll do later on, including uh, working on becoming lucid, but also a whole host of other stuff. Uh, Sweet. Your dream journal will seriously improve over time. Like at first, uh, as you first start taking down notes on your dreams, you might remember little snippets or just kind of vague impressions. That's fine. Just write that all down. The longer you keep at it, the better you'll get at capturing that fragile little moment of remembering just as you wake up and the clearer your dream journal will become. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that the uh, the journaling aspect is probably the most important. I myself tried to teach myself how to lucid dream a while ago, and I never really got all that far with it, probably because I skimped on the uh, journal aspect. So learn from your elders. Write it down. Definitely. Uh, let's talk about tarot readings. Um, keep a journal if you are involved in a tarot reading. Write down if you do the reading or if someone else does. Write down what the spread looked like, what the results were, what cards came up, what directions they were facing, what shape you laid them down in. Uh, If you did the reading and are not familiar with the cards yet, uh, what were your initial impressions just based on the imagery you saw uh, before you actually look up the meaning of the cards? Mm -hmm. Uh, The writer deck is a good place to start with that. Uh, There's a lot of badass artwork. Um, Some of it you'll probably recognize. It's got that cool, like... 16th century like woodcut look to it and it's got some uh, supposed connections to alistair crowley the beast himself yeah that said um 
Crowley's deck is super awesome, but it's not a great starter deck. It's the imagery is pretty complex and it, it's a really good deck for more advanced people. Rider Waite is the perfect starter deck. But uh, I want to warn people, like, stay away from the other weirdo decks and theme decks that are out there. Uh, they don't really have the imagery down, and they're just kind of like uh, the result of capitalism and people trying to make money. They're awesome for their art, but they're not necessarily going to help you in your magic. There's mm-hmm. angelic yeah. ones out there. I think there was like a hipster tarot deck that I saw that was just a bunch of pictures of bearded dudes wearing plaid. It was not really what we're going for. Yeah. I think I saw like a Kirby uh, tarot deck at one point and you know, he's a cloud. Like he's just a circle with a face. Like he's not going to help you get the symbolism down guys. Carnivorous marshmallow. Yeah. Uh, Spells. Keep a spell journal. Did you cast any spells? Uh, Did you see somebody else cast a spell? Uh, Write down what happened. What did you feel? Uh, Did you feel something physical? Did you feel something emotional? Did you see anything out of the ordinary while it was happening? Uh, did any of your other senses pick something up? What were any perceived results of the spell days or weeks or months afterwards? You kind of need to revisit this after a few days or weeks and see if there are any effects that you can look back on or any conclusions you can draw. Similar to spells, I want to talk about ceremonies. Uh, kind of different from spells and rituals, more like a subset of rituals. Uh, ceremonies are usually religious in nature. Uh, if you're following the Wiccan path, this might include the Sabbats. If you are Catholic, this is going to be mass. Any ritual that you do that is for some divinity and not necessarily for your own benefit, that is a ceremony. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ceremony when it came to uh, Freemasonry, and that's something that we're going to explore eventually. Sure, but write that down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you also want to record odd experiences, synchronicities, coincidences, cases of deja vu. Basically glitches in the matrix, man. Man. Uh, but anytime you notice something that might have some significance, write it down. It's not so important to understand what the significance might be. There's going to be a lot of garbage in your journal by the end of this. That's fine. Uh, it's not even important to note why you notice the thing. You might not know why you notice the thing. You'll practice that. But get into the habit of writing it down anytime you notice, like capital N, notice anything unusual. Just kind of give mm-hmm. yourself permission to acknowledge that unexpected and the weird instead of letting the polite parts of your brain explain away whatever you might have experienced. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about this much, much more when we get into further episodes, but part of practicing the occult scientists, uh, sciences is recognizing the magical or to use the the original entomology of the word weird occurrences. Etymology. I don't think etymology. it's a bug. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> so good. The original etymology of the word weird occurrences in which are, uh, I'm um, sorry, in what seems like mundane life. I I like the word weird, W-Y-R-D, weird. You got to kind of let the letter Y sound like a U, sort of. It's like Old English or Saxon or something. It's like weird. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty sure it's Saxon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So revisit this section um, every so often and see if there are any trends or parallels you can draw. Uh, As far as formatting goes, you know, we just gave you a long list of stuff that you'll you'll want to keep notes on. Um, but what we're going to do is give you a format that you can use that somewhat will help will help you keep this all organized. This is personally what I do. The first thing I write down is date, time, and if you're into it, lunar cycle. If you don't care about what phase the moon's in, like whether it's waxing and waning and whether you do creative and destructive magic during different parts of the lunar cycle, ignore that. If you're into that, use it. Maybe you're not into that and you'll come to it later. It's fine, whatever. Location is important. Write down where you are. If I'm home, I usually just write what room I'm in. But if I'm like, say... Uh, visiting a friend in another state and I have my journal with me, I will also include like location, what state I'm in. Or if for some reason I'm in Canada or, you know, wherever, write down that you're, you're in this different place. Yeah. Why would you be in Canada? 
Uh, why wouldn't you be in Canada? That's a fair That's question. Fair why wouldn't you be in Canada? <laughs> weather conditions are also important. Um, weather affects our psychology, and it might also have some other effects that we don't necessarily 100% know about. But I know definitely whether it's been a sunny day or a cloudy day or a rainy day or whatever, that affects like where my brain's at and might also affect the outcome of whatever it is I'm trying to do. Sure. Relative humidity mm-hmm. affects the conductivity of the air. Yeah, totally. Whoa. Physical feelings. Are you tired? Are you sick? Are you in pain? That stuff's important too. That's going to also affect your psychology, right? Your emotional state, whether you're happy, sad, angry, excited, indifferent, whatever. Uh, rituals and activities performed. This is like, what? what's the name of it? Right. So did you do the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram? Write it down. If it's the first time you've done a ritual, write down more of the process. Uh, so it's not just like a random name. Like anybody can say they enacted the ritual of casual pastamancy. What does that mean, though? At right, least that's one the point next in the part. journal, you should write it down. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the next part is performance. So so what was done, provide detail, like be specific and you can be. Uh, as specific as you want, uh, more specificity is always better, but don't be so vague that you're going to look back on it in, uh, five days or a month or a year and be like, I don't know what that is at all. I mean, my standard for this is reproducibility the same way for any experimental work. If someone else can look at this journal and do what I did, then I'm keeping good notes. Yeah, I and 100% that, agree. 100% mm-hmm. agree. And that brings us back to the uh, scientific method. Yeah, totally. And speaking of which, you also want to write down your results. You do. That's really important to me. The this, The concept of this being involved in the scientific method, I, I don't really identify as a practitioner first. I'm a skeptic first. And when what I'm doing has some of the familiar trappings of science and the methodology of science... It helps me get into the right headspace to do good ritual work. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe anything. I also don't not believe anything. So there's that. Sure. Wow. (laughs) Uh, As far as uh, keeping a journal, other authors and other groups have different recommendations. But this this is what works for me. And ideally, you want to write these things down whenever you do or notice something specific. So if you do a ritual, write it down. If you had a dream, write it down. If you happen to have your journal on you and you're out on the bus and something, some kind of synchronicity or weird coincidence or deja vu happens, write it down. If not, you know, try and remember it and uh, and take it home and write that down. Like if you're on the bus and you're pretty sure that that dude's cockatiel just started speaking in tongues, you should probably write that down. Or you could just be in Portland. Okay. Yeah, I mean... That guy might be teaching his cockatiel to speak in tongues. That's fair. We shouldn't assume. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Some people also recommend flipping your journal upside down and using the back pages as dream pages. Uh, My journal specifically is designed to do that, but you could do that with any regular old journal. I do that with regular old journals because I'm a lefty and spiral bindings kind of suck. You still get ink smears on your hand, but if you're using the journal from back to front, you don't get weird stripes or ouchy bits on your hand from the spiral. Uh, They're more durable than composition books, so I still prefer that spiral binding. But I've got a pile of 5x8 spiral notebooks full of notes from work, notes from classes, notes from all sorts of stuff, all with the title on the cover and then the text filled in from the back. Good point. Uh, and, uh, you all out there that, that don't have a physical journal, like I mentioned before, you can use Google docs or, you know, hell just scroll down your apartment wall, like a flipping madman. Probably paint over it when you leave the apartment. Uh, and that way the apartment is still your domesne after you're gone. It makes scrying easier. If your mark is still there and you're nosy about subsequent tenants, there's a minus two DC on your wisdom check, uh, Disclaimer, though, do not do not do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably talk about the ethics of magic at some point. I think we probably should. And um, maybe we'll do this uh, as we move through topics. That might be one of the, the, the best ways to, to tackle uh, the ethics of it. 
Yeah, I kind of wonder if we should have some kind of like legal disclaimer for something like this in case like, you know, somebody does have like a adverse reaction to some of this information. Um, yeah, I mean, you take your life and your consciousness into your own hands at all times. I feel like that should be like generally well known. But you do bring up a good point, and uh, Manly P. Hall um, kind of talks about some of this stuff in some of his older books. Uh, Words to the Wise, I think, is the the, the title that I originally read. Um, there's a smattering of racist crap in there, um, kind of like Blavatsky's work. But uh, also there's some content, too, where he has a lot of warnings. Lots of magicians tend to kind of go a little crazy. A lot uh, of crazy. Or a lot of crazy. So if you really get into this stuff and you really believe it and you really put the energy and effort into it, you will have hallucinations, whether those are apparition or madness or things that are really there. um, You will eventually come into contact with that and it can screw up your whole life and other people's lives. And Mm -hmm. uh, let's podcast on the left one into that. Some, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they also talked about it a little bit on their their episode on on Ouija um, a little bit too. So like, it's it's definitely a real thing. You really need to be learned before you practice, and and don't just kind of dive headlong into things. Yeah, it turns out people do some pretty wild stuff if they think it's a ghost telling them to do it. Right. I mean, there's definitely a discussion to be had on the idea of black hat versus white hat in terms of practitioners, because it turns out uh, cowboys and cybersecurity and magic are actually secretly all the same. Oh my God. It's the rule of commonality again. Definitely. <laughs> uh, with regard to scrying and marking, if you are into that sort of thing, maybe develop your own personal sigil or mark. We will talk about that in a future episode. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and there's a, a thing called invoking the soul resonance, which we'll definitely get to, which involves, creating a sigil for your three, the three aspects of your consciousness and merging them together and trying to unify um, like your higher self, your conscious self and your subconscious self into one uh, state. But we'll, we'll get to that at some we point. Will. Uh, what other journaling skills and methods might be valuable here? Uh, I want to go over a little more information might be helpful to track. Uh, write down Anytime you observe someone else perform a ritual, anytime we mentioned anytime you perform a ritual, but anytime you see someone performing a ritual, not necessarily a magical ritual necessarily, but any old ritual you observe, anytime you see a pattern of actions or behaviors, you want to write that down. Mm-hmm. Think of it this way. Uh, do you, your partner, your roommate, or your family members go through a specific set of actions when waking up or when going to bed? Yeah, be sure to. Breathe heavily through your mouth and situate yourself uncomfortably close while observing. Mm-hmm. This is key. If you get maced, it's working. You'll be able to feel it, and people will appreciate the feedback. Just shriek, it's working. They'll they'll get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, other things could be, does somebody at work lay out their space in a very specific way? Uh, do you or somebody you know always eat the same thing or have a traditional meal when you and your family or friends have a little semi-regular get-together? Uh, do you celebrate any holidays? What are things that you do when you celebrate? I, I admit I made a little holiday myself uh, every fall around Halloween and usually before Thanksgiving, like around that kind of part of fall, get a bunch of friends together to uh, have dinner and watch Over the Garden Wall. Um, it's a very twee solstice party. It's also Steak and Sex Day. Ooh, I've never been today? invited to a twee solstice party. Man, you are I don't know if you're missing out or not. All right. Well, there's other stuff. Do you have a routine that you do before you settle down to work, uh, either on a project or a hobby or really anything? Uh, There are a lot of things that are classifiable as rituals. Basically, if a person performs any series of actions to achieve an objective, especially if this is done on any semi-regular schedule or for an ongoing purpose, that is more than enough for it to go into your ritual journal. And later, we'll talk about how to use the rituals you've observed to build new rituals of your own. Yeah, and I want to rephrase a thought I mentioned before for our listeners. Magic is not just about the little spells you do at home. 
it's a whole way of thinking, a way of life. Initially, um, it'll start out with small private practice, but eventually you'll want to think of everything as a ritual, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you interact with the world. Uh, becoming a good practitioner involves building a set of habits, a set of tendencies, things you tend to look for and do. It'll make more sense when we start to discuss the actual doing of magic, but learning to spot rituals in the wild is a great first step in this. Mm -hmm. One thing about rituals, and especially noting them, is that you'll definitely see the interplay between the observation of a ritual and how that plays into your performance in said rituals. Also, start observing the habits of actors and performance artists like musicians and entertainment magicians. Um, everything they do is intentional. You have to start working your way in this direction. Life is a stage. We all wear masks. Start intentionally moving your way through the scene or the act of life instead of letting life move you. Wear masks on purpose is what we're saying. Be aware of what you're doing and pick the pretty ones wherever possible. Or pick ones depending on your needs at whatever point in time. That's chaos magic, though, and we'll get to that later on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the pretty masks. Well, sometimes a good grotesque mask is important, especially if you spend a lot of time on the street at night, especially in the city. Mm. Now, I kind of want to go back to the word they used earlier, entertainment magicians. Um, that felt a little bit pointed. Is that something that you want to go into at some point? Sort of your history with entertainment magicians? I am a very, very amateur illusionist, if we'll say. And I'm actually trying to get back into it right now. Um, hopefully, I'll be doing a small show kind of sort of thing coming up. Uh, but yeah, that's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Back to journaling. Um, this is going to be a thing. We're just going to talk about journaling forever and ever. Write down anytime you change your mind about something or you convince someone else to change their mind about something. Uh, you can write down anytime you truly challenge one of your beliefs, even if it stays the same after you look at it more deeply. Did you change your mind because you gained new information? Did you uh, did someone convince you of something? Mm -hmm. Did you see or read something on the news that made you rethink something you believe? Did you get into an argument and notice you were confused or uninformed about something important to you? Maybe someone made you, uh, somebody made an argument that, that you felt was wrong, but uh, you didn't know how to challenge the argument at the time. I'm going to recommend that you guys take a look at a, an ebook called Rationality from AI to Zombies by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Uh, the first two sections of that ebook talk about understanding beliefs and how to actually change your mind. It turns out changing what you believe to be true is really, really difficult. If you're going to mm -hmm. get serious about understanding how to manipulate what you believe and why other people believe what they believe, these essays are super helpful. Uh, they're written with a very scientific mindset and they closely follow rationalist philosophy. So they might not be helpful to everybody, but for me, I learned a great deal about how our brains are wired and how to short circuit a lot of my own belief structures. Um, Interesting. In retrospect, this is almost certainly not why these essays were written, but that is what I gained from them. Take from that what you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's also Timothy Leary's Eight Circuit Model of Consciousness, which I actually recently learned a little bit about uh, reading this book called Quantum Psychology by Robert Anton Wilson. Uh, there's a lot of discussion in there as well in um, a lot of Leary's work about re-imprinting your circuits or um, the aspects of uh, your personal psychological makeup and how it can be done. Um, but like I've said, it's not an easy task. And if you're not careful, it can be quite dangerous. It often involves the use of psychedelics, but uh, proper and intense meditation, meditative techniques can be used to do that. And there's a few other methods. But again, like that's something we'll get into much, much later on. We will. Yeah. And we're saying these are when we say intense meditation, we mean intense. Like if you start to hallucinate, that means you're doing it right. It means you're like halfway yeah. there. Uh, yeah. But to come back, changing your mind and abandoning established belief structures 
are extremely important concepts in chaos magic. And learning to recognize this is important for later analysis because you'll need to practice changing your mind and your beliefs. And just totally adopting other personas altogether is is kind of a thing in chaos magic or like putting on a mask and becoming a, you know, theoretically possessed by a god or deity or or demon or something for a period of time. Uh, It's kind of like acting. Just uh, be slow with it. Learn a lot about it before you try and do it. And be careful. Don't Heath Ledger yourself. Yeah, pour one out, Heath. The Joker claimed another victim himself. Uh, Namaste. Rest in peace. With that, I think we're just about out of time. Next week, we're going to dig a little deeper and start talking about this thing called Gnosis and altered states of consciousness. And then we'll leave you with some visualization and meditation techniques to practice and play with. In episode three, we're probably looking at divination because divination is really important for kind of prep work for some of the the rituals and practices you might do. Um, And then from there, it looks like we're on to writing your own magic and what rituals really look like. And we'll see how far we get. Anyway, until next time, our purpose is done and the circle is broken. Go back to the world enriched in knowledge and alight with laughter, at least a little bit more than when we started. So mote it be. So mote it be. So mote it be. Thrice bound and done. Until next time, listeners, fools out.